Welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into an opportunity. I'm Vincent Herringer. Every week I talk to entrepreneurs, investors and experts about what they're doing to solve the climate crisis and get New Zealand down to zero emissions by 2050 or sooner. This Climate Business is brought to you by Podcasts New Zealand. Craig Moore's Sustainables is the only New Zealand land manager that operates at scale in each of the three core primary sectors, horticulture, dairy farming and forestry. It also claims to be a leader in sustainable practices, seeking to become carbon neutral in some of its dairy and kiwifruit operations, employing local owner operators and finding innovative ways to reduce environmental impact. The co-founder, Forbes Elworthy, is the, four, is the fourth generation of Elworthys to own Craigmore Station, one of Canterbury's largest sheep and beef farms. He has big shoes to fill. His father, Sir Peter Elworthy, led federated farmers during the turbulent economic reforms of the 1980s. He was also on the board of the Reserve Bank and was a founder of the Sustainability Council, which successfully opposed the release of genetically modified organisms in New Zealand. Farming and our love for the land are clearly still in Forbes' blood. But what does that mean in the 21st century? And how can New Zealand farmers balance the need for productivity with sustainability? Forbes Elworthy, welcome to this climate business. Thank you very much and, and, and lovely to be here. Um, yeah, it's a new experience for me, so quite fun. Uh, great. Um, well, I'm I'm really interested to just chat a, a little bit about your father. I, I um, you know, he he was a towering figure for many years in New Zealand agriculture, and um, and was a pioneer really in sus- the sustainability arguments f- uh, in farming and, and agri. Okay, what was his interest in sustainability? Where did that come from? And did the, he he's passed that on by the sound of it. You know, yeah, I mean. It's really important that people who are engaged in in, in 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 land use, you know, don't get get put off by a whole bunch of people who seem like they're they're perfect because because everybody who's involved in managing land knows there's 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 lots of challenges and compromises that that we all end up making. So it's quite important we don't put Daryl Peter Elworthy up on a pedestal and say, you know, he achieved all these things and the average farmer didn't. I, you know. Dad was very much in the mainstream of New Zealand farming. He, you, you could say that he was a man of his time. He, I, we've got a newspaper clipping of Dad, you know, lobbying for the use of I, I forget whether it was two four five T or Agent Orange or something really horrible. <laughs> you know, from the nineteen seventies when he was leading uh, South Canterbury Federated Farmers, and 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 in the seventies he led the Gumboot Takeover. Which created, you know, Ravensdale Fertilizer, you know, a, a a massive tool of New Zealand farming, and in itself becoming a very progressive organisation. Uh, with uh, uh, Ravensdale, I'm proud to say, employs more environmental engineers than any other firm in New Zealand. Well over a hundred now working on environmental solutions across New Zealand farming. But Ravensdale didn't have a hundred environmental engineers in the 1970s. It was a major, uh, you know, distributor of superphosphate and nitrogenous fertilizers. Uh, without some of the more sophisticated stuff that's now happening. So dad was a man of his time, uh, a person of his time, shall we say. And um, But as he aged, you're absolutely right. He he, he saw the issues that were, were, were emerging and um, eventually ended up chairing the Sustainability Council and working with, with a dear friend of our family, Simon Terry, 
who who you know gallantly is 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 still you know leading that organization. Um, the other reason I think, as well as being you know an astute judge of how how the community needed to change and how our our farming practices needed to change. Um, Oh, and, and, and how we needed to build our brand was my mother has always been an environmentalist well before dad became one. And so I think both for dad and for myself, uh, Fiona Elworthy has been a huge influence in, in terms of uh, opening our eyes to, to, the, to, the, to the need for, for the care of, of the natural environment. But in many ways, farmers are the drag on the changes we need to make on climate. Uh, you know, they've opposed carbon taxes. They uh, just today... Uh, there is a tractor protest happening in Invercargill um, about clean water uh, um, regulations that are being submitted. There's a sense that the farming community are the last to come on board with moves towards better management of fresh water, of um, nitrogen runoff, um, uh, it, you know, good husbandry treatment of animals and so on. Do, do you agree that the New Zealand farming community is not picked up the mantle that your father is, has, uh, you know, was set? Uh, uh, no, no, no I, I don't agree with, with that. I, I, think, um, I think in an open society, in, in an honest society, people debate things and, and, and practices in very complex industries edge towards the better. You know, I'm, I'm an optimist in, 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 in my sort of uh, business dealings and in my politics. I'm, I'm a progressive. Um, but I don't think that there, you just flick a switch one day and, and suddenly everything is, is, is perfect. Um, you know, uh, New Zealand is, is making m much more rapid progress than you, than you might think in, in this. In fact, I would go so far as to turn around your observation about farming and to say you might think of the farmers of New Zealand as being the laggards in this process, which is what I think you slightly unfairly suggested. But I would put it the other way around. I would say New Zealand in general, and all credit to the whole of New Zealand society, including people uh, all over New Zealand society who have complained vigorously, that's very healthy in, a, in an open society to complain about water, to complain about greenhouse gases, to, to complain about biodiversity and animal welfare. These are really important issues. But we've, we've got these issues out in the open. We've been debating them for 20 years, and we are really grappling with these issues. I take the dog out for a walk up here in North Oxfordshire where I live in the UK and I walk past the, the headwaters of the Thames and there is about 20 stairs standing, pooing in the headwaters of the Thames. That would never happen in New Zealand now. It would have happened 10, 15 years ago. It would never happen now. That's the progress that we've made in New Zealand that any farmer would be shocked if he saw his neighbour doing that and he would report him or he would go and ring up the neighbour and say, come on, let's, let's, let's get, we've, we've got to raise our game here. So, so, you know, the reason that I often meet Brits coming back from New Zealand saying, gosh, you've got a real problem with your waterways. You've got a real problem with your uh, use of synthetic fertilizer. And you've got a real problem with, with um, you know, your grappling with greenhouse gases. And, and I always say, oh, your farming industry doesn't. And he says, no, no, I've never heard anything about that. Yeah. <laughs> what does that tell you? What does that tell you about what New Zealand is doing to grapple with these issues and get on with them? And and I'm I'm I I I'm living two countries, and I could there could not be a clearer contrast as to which of those countries is the whole of New Zealand society, including the farmers, is grappling with this. So no, I, I do not agree with your characterization. I think we've made a huge amount of progress, but we've got a long way to go. One of the practices that does get a lot of criticism has been the intensification of 
dairy, particularly dairy in parts of South Island that really shouldn't be uh, doing dairy. And I'm thinking parts of Canterbury, um, parts of uh, Central Otago, um, Taieri Plains and so on, which require a huge amount of um, irrigation to sustain that level of dairy. Um, do, do you agree that there are parts in New Zealand that really shouldn't be doing dairy? And, and uh, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that part of your portfolio includes dairy farms in those parts of New Zealand. Yeah, I, 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 um, I was brought up on a dryland farm where we would, you know, in South Canterbury still today, we'll, we'll, we'll suffer a drought, you know, on average every third year. And with climate change, it, it's, it's probably going to be every second year. And we now have a, it used to be a one in 30 year chance of having a drought two years in a row, you know, according to NIWA, it's now a chance of having a drought um, two years in a row is every 10 years. And, and, and it's the, for, for those people listening to this call who are involved in farming, it's the drought two years in a row that really gets you because you use up all your stores of your reserves. Now, you know, a drought might mean to somebody at um, beef and lamb, it might mean economic consequences, but to a livestock farmer, and a, and a cropping farmer, but especially to a livestock farmer, a drought means huge suffering. A, a drought is, is you know, we're in care of these animals and these animals are, are not able to be fed. And and so I came quite late in my career, a career to irrigated farming, but I must say um, it has been an absolute joy to be involved in, in irrigated farming. We can look after the animals much better. The animal welfare is is, is is so much better. We can look after our staff better because we're not going through these cycles of, of, of extreme exposure to, to, to the climate. So uh, I must say I've really uh, enjoyed being involved in irrigated farming. I think there are some parts of, of the uh, foothills and high country that that, uh, that should probably not have irrigation on them, and, and, and I think we're discovering that now. Uh, but I, 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 I'm... I, I really think that, that we have a, a wonderful opportunity in New Zealand to use water uh, with which we have uh, an abundance to, to improve farming systems. Uh, and, and I, I um, you know, absolutely, we need to look after the soils. But we're, we're going to talk about soils, I think, a little bit later on in this, in this podcast. But I, I would say look after the soils. But uh, if, you, if you have the privilege of having access to some of God's water, on your farm, I think you would you would use it. Um, it's it's a wonderful asset. How do you reconcile that with your views, which you've been you've written about, um, and I know that you articulate very well this right crop, right uh, farming for the right land for the right conditions. And you've talked, for instance, about you know there are apples are best grown in Hawke's Bay, um, kiwi fruit are best grown in uh, Bay of Plenty in Northland, and yet. Uh, we are forcing land, particularly in those places I've just mentioned, to sustain a kind of farming that really the environment is not suitable for. I, 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 I don't know. Can you tell me why you think the environment's not suitable for, for that? I just, I, I really don't know where you're coming from. Okay. Well, wouldn't you think um, that having to irrigate at scale would imply that that area is then not suitable for the kind of farming that requires such heavy use of water? About um, 15, somewhere between 15 and, and, and 20% of, of, of the world's arable land, you know, prime land, cropping land, uh, is irrigated. Throughout the Middle East, throughout the, the Midwest, throughout the, 
Europe and, and now in New Zealand, the most sought after land is, is often irrigated. The North Island of New Zealand is, is, is wonderfully well watered, so we don't really need to use a lot of irrigation around the Pukekohe or a, uh, we use quite a lot on the Hawke's Bay Plain. Uh, but, you know, uh, but just, just to give you the data, 40% of the world's food is grown on that, you know, uh, you know, which what is only two two or three percent of the, of all of the farmland, but what is about ten or fifteen percent of of the of them. So if if you're suggesting that 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 we, we somehow are going to be able to run our farming systems without something that was uh, pioneered in Mesopotamia, you know, ten thousand years ago, i.e. the 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 channeling and use of water then I'm sorry, I don't know where you're coming from. (laughs) I think the Sumerians have a lot to answer for. Um, One of the other um, innovations that you've invested in is the the, um, map of ag, and and I I think that that relates very much to this idea of the appropriate crop, the appropriate farming for the appropriate conditions. Can you explain a little bit about map of ag and and what that does and 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 how farmers are using it map of ag is a a data intermediary which helps um, farmers in two or three countries particularly the uk but also new zealand to publish their data to uh to those counterparties who they choose to publish their data to so some of the work we do it has a sort of top-down landscape uh, or, or uh, catchment level uh, uh, import of, of the type that you imply, but most of the work we do is much more subscale, much more farm scale than that. We're doing field level, animal level, uh, machine level, device level data uh, so that that farmer can, can publish those records of the actual movements of livestock into his value chain or to a, a valued supplier. So we, we are, you know, think of, think of, um, you know, older forms of data like making phone calls. Uh, think of Mapavag as being a, a, a telephone exchange that's available for the farmer to, to publish, to automate the publishing of data to counterparties. And just to give you an example, uh, you know, with coronavirus, a lot of farmers here in the UK were unable to um, have auditors on their farm for the red tractor audit, which is the 46,000 farm um, uh, or you know, a standard of animal welfare and and and, and other uh, food security and other other food food sanitary uh, standards on the farms here in the UK. So it's the most used standard, and so we we've been onboarding about a thousand farms a month onto Mapavag so that they can automate and publish uh, over the web. Think of it as being a bit like Zoom, their um, their data rather. Mm. Uh, having to have somebody come up the driveway with a clipboard, which hasn't been possible over the last uh, five, six months. And presumably this sort of data catchment and data sharing is going to be a contributor to sustainable management as well, because uh, I'm imagining that over time what's captured would expand to include environmental impacts. Yeah, we, we, we think a lot about that. And it's one of the main reasons we set Map of Ag up is 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 on the Craigmore farms and now on the on the much larger number of farms that Mapavag serves for for our clients. Um, you know the measurement of of financial and compliance and food security and animal welfare and environmental footprints is what Mapavag does. And to answer your question specifically, we estimate that twenty percent of Mapavag's revenues related to environmental KPIs. Uh, you know three or four years ago, but there's a couple of our our, our bigger uh, food brand clients now 
who are doing net zero projects, who are who are measuring from um, uh, baselines of, of uh, different um, impacts on the environment, particularly greenhouse gases. And, and, and so MAPAVAG is engaged helping those groups of farms to to, to measure, baseline, understand, and migrate their, their, their things. So in a very specific way, yes, MAPAVAG is involved in, in, in environmental projects. Yeah, I think that data uh, capture and data sharing is going to be a real key for uh, improving uh, sustainability management. I was interested, I don't know if you saw, but only just yesterday or day before, Beef and Lamb have re- released a report um, measuring the carbon sequestration capability of beef and lamb uh, uh, sheep, sheep, basically dry stock farms uh, on account of having 17% of New Zealand's uh, forestry, uh, native forestry is on um, beef and lamb property. And um, and the data is is pretty good. It's, it's not as good as it could be, but it seems that uh, on, on some measures, depending on how you, you count it, um, it could be that uh, sheep and beef farming is already carbon neutral if you include the um, sequestration ability, uh, ability of that forestry that's on farmers' land. Yeah, and to be fair to beef and lamb, I mean, they did a pretty professional job. It wasn't just a sort of beef and lamb, uh, you know, um, um, sort of inside job. They, they they hired Auckland University of Technology to do the research and, 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 and asked the lecturer to come in and, and, and compile the numbers. I think it was a good piece of research, um, and it's a good illustration of exactly the sort of uh, environmental footprinting and and, and environmental sort of debate and and thinking that we as a community are doing in New Zealand that that, that I was that I'm so proud of that we talked about right at the beginning. Well, as it happens, we could do a little advert because I'm talking to the two uh, scientists that um, did that report next week on this show. So um, stand by. Let's talk about forestry. Um, You're unusual in the sense that at least a third of your portfolio now is dedicated to forestry. Tell tell us about why you have done that and, um, yeah, just explain the portfolio and and your rationale. When Mark Cox and I decided to uh, get a little bit beyond our own farms and and raise investor money and and invest in, in New Zealand land use, or what you might now call natural capital, Starting in two thousand and nine, one of the one of the first opportunities that was was sitting there was carbon forestry. We we just we just could see that um, as farmers ourselves and the ability to to understand the, the type of land that that should be kept for farming and a lot of land should be kept for farming, but also the type of land that that is you know extremely marginal for farming that can be used very in a very worthwhile way for forestry. We thought it played to our skill sets, uh, and we. Um, we, we've thoroughly enjoyed getting involved in trying to sensitively and uh, sensibly um, bring mixed land use uh, systems to particularly the North Island where, where, where there's a lot of this uh, former, uh, former volcanic soils that, that some, in some cases quite sensitive and that in some cases are much happier under trees than under hooves. Mm. What kind of trees are they? Mostly exotics, mostly pine. Mostly exotics, a variety of exotics, particularly pinus radiata. Mm. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, there has been so quite a lot of discussion. A lot of uh, a lot of riparian planting, a lot of uh, native infill, uh, and and so you know, you know, the old thing of of 
you know, planting uh, exotic trees right down to, to the to the water's edge or to the lake's edge or to the stream's edge is just is just inappropriate. And and, and Craigmore's move well beyond that. But mm. yeah, the workhorse of New Zealand forestry in suitable areas is is exotic forestry. This stuff um, sequesters carbon and and grows timber at about four times the rate. Of, of natives. So, you know, it's just an unfortunate fact of biology and it would be lovely to be growing uh, nothing but natives. And we have established quite a lot of, um, for example, plantation manuka, manuka for, for honey, which has been nice. But, um, it, it, you know, the facts of biology do, do speak to, uh, to the exotics. Uh, forestry, like many aspects of um, farming, has got its own uh, issues and discussion points. Uh, there, there has been a movement, I'm sure you're aware of it, called Fifty Shades of Green that is concerned about displacement of arable land and and good farming land for what they would call unproductive farming. You know, farming carbon farming um, mm-hmm. with a subsequent loss of of jobs and a and a hollowing out of rural communities. Do you have any sympathy for that view and do you have a response? Yeah, I have a lot of sympathy for that view and, and we've got a lot of friends. You know, that movement came out of the Wairapa. We've got a lot of friends who, who are good people who farm in the Wairapa. We, we have a number of uh, forestry blocks established on some of those friends' farms and, and in each case we've tried to get the right mix of, of uh, livestock farming on the better land and, and some cropping. And um, the right and, and forestry on on the on the land for which that is more appropriate and for which that has has significant environmental benefits. One of the decisions that I think New Zealand, uh, I think New Zealand made a good decision when it designed its its, its emissions trading scheme 15, 18 years ago and put it into effect twelve or thirteen years ago, is is that we decided that we would we would reward the farmer for the first part of the rotation with carbon credits. So, pardon me, the forester, but that we would um, make sure that the that the system was set up so that the timber would still be harvested at the end of the rotation. So you get about half of the economics and the, and the sort of value of, of that forest from carbon and about half from timber. I think that's very good from a risk management point of view for investors, but I think it's been very far-sighted in the sense that the, that, that timber will be harvested and create a lot of employment in those regions. And there are some studies suggesting that, that correctly managed uh, timber can create you know, approximately the same levels of employment as, as sheep and beef systems. And so it kind of goes back to your point also, doesn't it, of the right land use for the right land. There are some parts of New Zealand uh, that are, are, it would be a great shame to, to be putting in forestry when it could be used for, say, for instance, you've invested in, in apples and, uh, and, and, and hort and, and kiwi fruit up north. Yeah, if you, if, you, um, if you find yourself ripping out apples and putting in softwood forestry, uh, you'd, you'd, it would be a very marginal ma- apple orchard. Right. <laughs> right, we we better get on to some of your initiatives in sustainability. I know you're busting to tell me about that, and we we don't have much time. So, t- tell us about some of the innovations that you are uh, putting in across your portfolio. Well, um, the first thing that 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 I think New Zealand farming should be really proud of is carbon forestry. We are well. I mean, forestry is the industry that gives mankind the best shot of buying time to to stave off climate change. I mean, forestry is low tech, 
and it, it works. I mean, we're talking, we're talking, you know, on the first 17 years of a, of a you know, Rotoria or East Coast or Central North Island rotation, we're talking on average about 40 tons of CO2 per hectare per year for 17 years. I mean, it's an incredible pump. That's 700 tons per hectare. And that's that's a remarkable achievement. So so I often do presentations on this to investors, and I explain that all we need to do is plant, um, uh, uh, you know, three or four thousand forests of uh, roughly um, roughly uh, one sixth of Greater London. So doing it the other way around, just just about fifteen hundred Greater Londons with forestry, and we can we can keep the temperature below uh, one and a half degrees. So so forestry. Is is a remarkable thing, and New Zealand has led the world in designing a methodology in our emissions trading scheme that works very well. It's very robust. It's very conservative. That that enables us to do these calculations. So so that's the first innovation that I always speak about because we, we shouldn't forget about the humble tree. It is mm. it is mankind's greatest hope. Um, what else? Um, Mapavag. Uh, we've talked about that. Uh, employs 120 people. Many of them in New Zealand. Because uh, we we find that some of the best engineers, especially for doing uh, the the modelling of complex biological systems, which of course is what agriculture is, it's a biological system, um, um, uh, are in New Zealand, and most of the, most of our New Zealand team are in Hamilton. Um, so Mapavag is is uh, is doing some serious work to help um, large groups of farms brought together around retail brands, or around political groupings, or around regulatory or compliance groupings. To, to migrate behaviors or to benchmark or to improve financial or compliance or other outcomes. So we certainly uh, have enjoyed being able to use MapaVag in the Craigmore farms, but it's now used on probably three or 400 times as many farms outside of Craigmore as, as, as it is used on the Craigmore farms. Great. Mm, right. um, dairy beef. Uh, the Europeans are ahead of me. One of the, I comparisons are odious, but one of the few areas that European farming is is really ahead of um, New Zealand is dairy beef. Um, you know, the use of a, a dairy cow to produce a beef animal is 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 if you look at uh, on a systemic um, life cycle analysis of the of the breeding cow, the the high country, the the calf. Much as we love the Marlborough man or the, the New Zealand um, high country image of the beef cow, she is she's belching and farting out there on the hill and producing one calf every year. And on average, because some of them have to be kept for replacements. So when you look at the whole system, dairy beef, the use of our, of our beef herd to produce a byproduct called beef calves um, is probably going to be able to reduce New Zealand's beef greenhouse gases by about 40%. And we have a the, trial the, going on for... for, for been a trial going on for um, four years on the Craigmore farms. Oh, well, four, four years as, as a sort of trial, two years at a commercial level, and we're now producing th thousands of calves out of dairy cows for beef. And, and this also has substantial animal welfare benefits. So there's three things, carbon forestry, mapavag, and dairy beef. I'd like to be able to talk about regen farming, the use of diverse pasture species to uh, reduce fertilizer use massively and, and, and increase animal welfare. And we're, we're only really two on one farm and one year into some trials on that, but early results are very promising. But at Craigmore, we'd like to talk about things that we've already done. Well, we can always come. Farming. We can talk about regen farming. 
we always come back for more. I'll, I would love to, to hear about that um, very quickly because uh, I know you got to go. But, you know, your father uh, and your family have led New Zealand through some very difficult times and the, the change of New Zealand to an open economy that wasn't supported by subsidies was a, a massive change and quite traumatic for many in the farming sector. I would think that you are now, as an industry, facing similar levels of trauma in terms of the effects of climate change, as you've mentioned, droughts um, and floods uh, in unusual frequencies, but also this level of uh, legislative change around, um, you know, but what's what you're required to do on farms to manage. Plus, you've got all these dynamics of of a market changing, right? The rise of synthetics and alternatives, the rise of veganism, and and so on. How how are you coping? <laughs> you know what is what is the what is the message to the farming community now about managing that level of change? Let me try and link your question about the economic and political uh, situation of New Zealand farming and of Craigmore Sustainables, which is we'd like to think a bellwether of New Zealand farming and forestry. Let me try and link it back to your very first question about how um, you know awfully the New Zealand farmers are doing. Well, it wasn't even a question, really. I, I, I'd say it was a suggestion from you. Um, and I don't think uh, I'm the only one saying that. I'm, yeah, I know, I know, but I, I, I think it, it, if people say things a lot, it doesn't necessarily make them true. And uh, so coming back to... Um, uh, to your very first assertion that the New Zealand farmers are doing a terrible job and your question at the end of this interview as to, you know, what the hell are you doing, Elworthy? Isn't there safer things to do with your capital and your time than try and improve <laughs> land use in New Zealand farming? Why don't you become a nice, comfortable uh, media person in the city and just criticise the farmers from the outside? Oh, and that's me, cruel. And let me... Um, let me um, I'm not comfortable at all. And, 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 and let, me, um, let me try and link those two things. If you're lucky enough to have uh, spent a bit of your misspent youth in, in, in finance and, and made a bob or two, if you then have gone and worked in big data and, and, and built a data business and sold it, what do you do with your capital and, and where do you go? And call me sentimental, but I am putting every piece of capital I have into New Zealand land and into the, the, the systems and the software and the management team to manage New Zealand land better. I totally believe in it. I think it has a very vibrant future. And coming back to your observations about, about all these things that, 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 that you find so objectionable, like irrigation and, and, um, and, 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 and maybe, you know, actually feeding the, 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 feeding the livestock and so on, um, let, me, let me just say that always invest in an open society where there is vigorous debate like we're having right now. Don't invest in the society where everybody's saying the same thing and there's no meaning. You know, and I think New Zealand has a really healthy, and you're part of it, a really healthy, self-critical attitude to how to deal with coronavirus, how to deal with nitrates, how to deal with greenhouse gases. And, I, you know, so keep up the good work. You're right to challenge yeah. the farmer. But the farmer is, is right to say, well, actually, in my view, and, and I'm very involved in this, I, I, I look at farms all around the world via Mapavag and forestry, I really think we, we, we are building together, you and I, uh, from our different perspectives, uh, an absolutely world-class land use industry in New Zealand. Well, my children haven't quite turned me to veganism yet, although they're trying very hard. But uh, what's the message that New Zealand can tell the world then about 
state of our farming and the state of our farm products. Well, it's just that. You know, this, 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 this isn't a, we're not going to do some sort of weird greenwashing. This is the vigorous debate we're having. These are the things we're doing. You know, the, the, the Europeans introduced a whole lot of nitrate um, restrictions back in the, um, in the 90s, and it was very admirable. And they were well ahead of New Zealand at that point. But, but when I go on farm here in Europe uh, and, and I go on farm in New Zealand, I, I can tell you we, we are really making progress. And it's partly because of this of an open society which vigorously debates these issues. Well, Forbes Elworthy, thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, it's late in the UK now, and I know you've got other things to do. I do want to get you back uh, to um, argue the toss a little more, but also to hear about your experiments in uh, regenerative farming, which obviously is all the um, all the shiz uh, amongst in environmental yeah, circles well, at the moment. This. We're just working with a university to specify uh, some measurements uh, of the results uh, and some comparative trials on some Craigmore farms. But I, I can't say anything more at this point because, as I say, at Craigmore we like to do things and then talk about them. Great. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we will speak to you again. All the best with uh, your projects in the months ahead. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. I hope you enjoyed the programme. There are more episodes as well as notes and blogs on our website, thisclimatebusiness.com. I'm Vincent Herringer, and if you know someone who deserves to be interviewed on our show, email me, vincent at thisclimatebusiness.com, or find me on Twitter, vherringer, that's two E's, one R. Meanwhile, I'll be back same time next week, and no hurrah.